0: I used to work many, many years ago in a supermarket called Tucker Bag. Does that ring any bells for anybody? It was the most ridiculous name for a supermarket. I'm not sure it's now IGA. So the IGA is used to be Tucker Bag. Good choice, right? But when I was working for um, uh, Tucker Bag, I was working in the grocery on this particular day, and a man came out of nowhere, grabbed me by the elbow quite forcefully, and turned me towards him and accosted me, and he said. I want to know where the hags are. And that's what I said to him. Hags? And he said, hags. Been looking everywhere. No hags. Really thick. Eastern European accent. Where are the hags? I have no idea. I'm sorry, sir. You must have hags. Where are they? Um, I'll go check. Okay? Be back in a Went out to the store storeroom like fellas. There's a few guys out there like fellas. There's a guy out there who wants hags. Has anybody heard of hags? And they were like, nope. Like, we, no one's seen them or put them on a shelf or anything. They're like, what are they? I'm like, I don't know, but we must have some. We're like, no hags anywhere. This is not going to go down well. All right. All right. So I come back out. I say, oh, sorry, sir. I've asked with the guys at the back of us for stuff. We don't have hags. There's no hags. He goes, you have hags. I will find them and walks off. I was like, well, that is a solution right there. That's good. That's good. So I go back to stacking the Shares. About 10 minutes later, he reappears with hags. me by the outer goes, look, I have hags. I said, they're eggs. He goes, they're hags. And then he says, and this was the best, he goes, where did you learn to speak English? And at this point, I thought, all right, we want to play. I said, I was born in England they literally invented English. He's like, you know, understand. And he walks, he walks off with his hags and he. Um, hopefully he had a, a much better day. Things can go missing in translation. We can we can think we hear something, we can completely miss it. And so today I want to take one verse and I just want us to sit in this one verse and look at all the language so that we go, oh, that's what it means. Because often we can, we can breeze over verses. We can, we can miss what they're about. We can just go, oh, I've read this a ton of times. I know what it says. So we're going to spend some time in there. And I know it sounds dorky. I know it sounds a bit academic and a bit like, oh, is this going to be boring? No, it's going to be the most incredible message you've ever heard. So just don't stress about that. But um, what, what the, the overall arching idea of what we're talking about today is to be sent. So we've been working through these five missional habits, right? So let's, before we put them up, Before we put them up, oh, you're keen. All right, what's what's the acronym that we use? Oh, yes, okay, here we go, ready? B stands for? Good, good, we're all on the board, all right. L stands for? Listen, that's good, we haven't even covered that yet, perfect. E stands for? Eat someone, oh my goodness. We're never going to recover from that direction, are we? All right, S stands for? Study Jesus. But you could be forgiven because there's two S's. So it doesn't like how hey, you get around. Today is sent. And so um, we've been choosing what we're going to preach, and not based on this acronym, but based on what we've been reading in the Bible. So every week we've been reading every day a chapter of the New Testament. So if you want to join us with that, Just flick that up for us, Rach. There you go. That's what we're doing. Well done. Don't don't need that anymore, do we? Um, If you want to join us, there's the um, the QR code to do that or the tag. Or if you're just old school, you're like, oh, no. Um, You can just grab a piece of paper from the um, thing that's actually the the, um, Bible plan. And we've been reading that and enjoying that and just seeing more and more people come on board with it. It's what we preach about every week. And as a result... One of the uh, readings this week was Matthew 16, verse 24. And that's what we're going to explore. It's one of the iconic Christian verses. um, And uh, when when the church, early church met, they did something really interesting. They sat down to preach and they stood up to read scripture. So you guys have it pretty easy because I do most of the standing. But what we're going to do, because it's one verse, we're going to stand together. (coughs) We're going to stand together. We're going to stand together. There we go. Yes. And we're going to read Matthew sixteen twenty All right. Now, this could be really awkward. So we'll go on the count of three. One, two, three. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well done, everyone. All right. Grab a seat. So what's fascinating about this, this verse is it's about Movement. It's not about being stationary. It's about movement. So this idea of being sent is about movement. This is movement after Jesus. It's moving to where Jesus is. It's moving in the direction Jesus is going. It's movement away from our comfort zones and into more of a challenge zone. It's to to do stuff with God. It's to be sent by God. And what's really interesting is there's different parts to it. So there's an and and then another and. So it's like this sequential thing. You do this and, not if, but, maybe, and you need to do this. And then you've done and you need to do that, which is really important. So we can't just take parts of this verse and go, I just deny myself. That's enough. No, no, that's to miss the whole thing entirely. I just follow Jesus. Well, you can't follow Jesus if you're not denying yourself and taking up your cross. I just take up my cross. I'm like, I'm passionate for causes, and that's enough. No, it's, that's not enough of what Jesus calls us to. So we need to take the whole lot together. So we're going to get stuck into it. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that himself, is it's, it's cultural language for back then. It's as much a herself as, as it gets. All right, so that word would also is the word for wishes. So if anyone wishes... To come after me, so it's not if just if anyone would, but but the idea of of wishes is this this mixture of a desire of will, and it's something that we are determined to obtain. We want to take hold of this thing, but it's also a wish. You know, when you go make a wish, right? So wish has this intentional. I, I wish to take hold of that. I wish to do this. So it is an intentional desire to it, but it also is something we wildly delight in. Right, So that the original language has these two ideas mixed in with that one word. So, so Jesus is saying, if you want to wildly delight in me, put yourself to it, be intentional about it. If you want to come after me, if you want to wish for me, wish to be in my presence, this is what it means. Anyone who really wants to be with Jesus, you come back for seconds, Charlie. Don't tell your mum. Yeah, go. <laughs> I love, the, I love the follow-up where, where Charlie had it all under control and Fiona just goes, for those of you listening to the recording, you should have come. All right, anyone, so Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, anyone who really wants me, who's striving after me, who, who wants to experience the true joy of what it is to be a human, listen up. Listen to what's coming. It's really, really important. And he recognises that following him isn't accidental. You don't fall into it. You don't one day go, oh, I'm following Jesus. It's intentional. It's intentional. It's meant to disrupt our lives. And the impression Jesus, Jesus should leave on us when we go, okay, I'm going to be intentional about this. I'm going to push into this. I'm going to accept this. We should have wild delight we should be, oh my gosh, I'm just blown away again by what God has done. And I don't know about you, if I'm reading the scriptures, I've been reading the scriptures each week and I'll read something that I've read a bunch of times before and I'm like, huh, how did God know I needed to hear that today? Like what are the chances of that? There's, there's this like, I, I need to engage in this intent to read and to be close to Christ. And as I do, there's this wild delight that I'm welcome to be a part of. If anyone would come after me. If anyone would position themselves to follow me. If anyone would willfully desire to position themselves to follow me. Listen up. He says first, he must deny himself. Now what's fascinating about this is he must deny is one word. It's, it's a single word. I'm going to spare you from all the Greek because our heads will be swimming in a whole bunch of stuff that's not essential for us today. But it's not used much as much at all, that phrase. In fact, it's only used a handful of times. It's used in the different retellings of this verse through the Gospels. It's used when Peter denies Jesus at the cross. So so Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus is hanging on the cross and they say to Peter, you're with him. And he denies Jesus. The same word. And it's also used when Jesus says, if you deny me before man... I'll deny you before God, right? They're the only times this, verse, this word is used. And what's helpful about that is it means we can have a specific understanding of what it actually means, what they were driving at. And when it's applied to others, so when we say Peter denied Jesus, it, it means this, to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. So when we look at Peter and we say, oh, Peter denied Jesus. Peter is saying, I have no acquaintance or no connection with Jesus. He's distant to me, right? But that's not applied to ourselves. When we use the word to apply to ourselves, so deny yourself, it takes on a different meaning. And the different meaning it takes on is to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. So forget about yourself, right? And and I find that really helpful. The first step Toward following Jesus is to lose sight of ourselves. To lose sight of our interests that just serve us. See the Christian life is about discovering and cherishing not what's important to me and not what's important to anybody else but what's important to God. And when we cherish and and love those things, when we we rely on those things, what is important to God, something is renewed and sings in us. It's like That's why I was born. That's why I exist. And so maybe this analogy might help as we think about denying ourselves. Think about yourself. You're you're carrying something. Your hands are completely full. Like, you know, you know, when you pull the groceries out of the boot and you're like, I really want to take that other bag, but I just can't pick it up. Right, you're staggering up, and if you've got kids, it's just a nightmare because they're trying to jump in the bags or run out on the road. And you're like, just help, would you? And you're carrying this that you can't fit anymore in. Okay, so think of it, your hands in this analogy are that full. Now, they are full of the one thing that is most important to you, aside from your faith, for the sake of this analogy. So, person next to you, just share what, what would that be for you? Like, if you're next to your husband or wife, you'd be like, you. But just pretend this is stranger, and we're being honest, right? So, no, it's a stranger. So, what, what's for, what's the most important thing to you? Just share amongst yourselves. What's the most important thing to you that would be in your hands right now? Go. Who found that easy to answer? Yeah. Did you say Jethro? Yeah. Called it. Called it. Good call. That's Fiona's dog. Okay. Um, so you might have said a, a family member. Or a pet, someone of, um, you might have said your partner, your spouse, you might have said your kids, you might have said your job, you might have said an object you own, and perhaps got a frown from somebody else. You might have said something you like doing. But think about it like you're carrying that thing, and you can't carry anything else. And Jesus says, if anyone would willfully desire to position themselves to follow me, they must let go of it. Be willing to let go of it for Jesus. And and our response is, Whoa, no. <laughs> I said, my kids, no. <laughs> I said my partner, no. Like I, I said these things that I thought you'd given me, God, no. And so we keep our possessions, right? We keep that in our hand, and here it is. And we hold it in our possession rather than entrusting it to God's possession. We think we can do a better job, this thing that we have, these relationships, this thing, than God can. And, and it's all about control. And I think that's what Jesus is driving at when he says, deny yourself, just let go. Because you can trust me. I'm going to look after that thing in your life, those people, that relationship, way better than you can. Just watch. But we like to hold on to that. Deny ourselves. Oh, I I'm denying all the bits that aren't important. But when it comes to something that is important, that that's a lot. Harder. Jesus says that, like the next verse in this, he says, what good is it to gain your whole world and let you let yet lose your soul? What good is it to hold on to that thing that is so important to you and yet lose what is ultimately most important because you're not trusting me? Jesus is saying, deny yourself is saying, look to God because he cares for you far more than you realize he cares for. You. Let go of some stuff. It's okay. You can trust him in that. You can trust him in the process. You can trust him with those things. Which raises the question, what's in your hands? What are you holding on to that occupies the space of the cross? Because that's what you should pick up, right? We need empty hands to then take up our cross. But we often can't take up our cross because we've got too much to lose. And we've got too much to lose because we're like, I've got this, God. You don't need to worry about it. And God's like, I actually do need to worry about it because you are rubbish at worrying about stuff. That's why I said all that stuff about worrying early on. Jesus says, if anyone would willfully desire to position themselves to follow me, they must trust me with what's most important to them and take up their cross. Christianity revolves around a cross. Sitting in the center of not only Christianity, but the center of history is the cross of Christ we got to share with Zari the other day about BC and what used to be called AD what is it now post christian era or something like that anyway um And and I'm like, yeah, Zari, the cross, Jesus, his life sits smack bang in the center of our secular history. Everything revolves around this cross. You see, when a person died on a cross, that was called crucifixion. It was one of the most horrific deaths that could take place. You were beaten within an inch of your life. You were stripped naked and you were nailed to some slabs of timber to be suffocated as you couldn't breathe as the blood filled your lungs. It was dreadful. It originated not with Rome, but with the Assyrians. They gave it to the Babylonians. The Babylonians gave it to the Persians. The Persians gave it to Alexander the Great. He um, gave it to the Phoenicians. And the Phoenicians gave it to Rome. And I've got all the dates, but it just bore us, right? Gave it to Rome. And Rome went, oh, we can get better at this. So they spent 500 years perfecting the art of crucifixion. So what Jesus endured was something catastrophic, that had been coming for, 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 for years and years and years. The cross was reserved for a select group of people. You had, to, you had to really do the wrong thing to get crucified. And here's the wrong thing. You had to be a disobedient slave, a disgraced soldier, so like a court-martial, or a political revolutionary. Basically, you rebelled against the power over you and that crime was, uh, was deserving of the crucifixion of the, of the cross. Those who found them on the cro- the, found themselves on the cross were, were there because they had acted rebelliously against the power of their day, whether it was their master or the military or the, the, um, the wider scope of things. And Jesus, acting in rebellion against sin, embraced the cross and stole sin from us he says i'm taking your sin and i'm doing it through the cross our culture says you get what you deserve and jesus rebelled and said this is what you deserve i'm taking what you deserve and i'm giving you what i deserve so Jesus deserved the glory. He deserved to be with, be with God, to be reunited, to have all the fullness of, of joy and love. And he says, I'm giving that to you and I'm taking from you what you actually deserve. Through the cross, we find freedom in Jesus from our sin. And we are set on a path to offer that as a cause to others. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's saying, what will you rebel against for me? What what powers or processes or systems or cultural norms will you rebel against? What things does the, everybody else take for granted and say we can't do anything about that that you will rebel against? What social situations that are just broken or corrupt or oppressive do you is God saying, will you rebel against? What will I stand against? What will I take up my cross? When you don't worry about or look to yourself, you can live rebelliously in such a way that increases Jesus' reign. When you think about it, the reason why we don't act as spiritually rebellious as we might like to be is because of what we're holding in our hands, right? It's like, ah, but what about that? When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's asking, how will you continue this cause that we started? How will you become part of it? I'm leading it. What what will it look like? What does your cross mean to you so recap if anyone would willfully desire to position themselves to follow me they must trust me with what is most important to them and then join and continue the cause i started and follow me following was at the heart of the rabbinic code so jesus was a rabbi and the whole thing was about following so when Jesus issues those words to Peter and James and John and other disciples, he says, come follow me. They were words that, that they would never, ever have expected to hear from a rabbi. Because when a rabbi says it, he's saying, come and be part of this thing that we have. And this thing they had was... We, we, we don't have anything like it in our society. So if you think about a supermodel or a a, a surgeon or a high court judge or TV news anchor or, or a Navy SEAL comes up to you and says, follow me, you're already in. I'll just show you what you have to do. That's kind of the the, the thing that was happening. So when Jesus went to these guys and said, come follow me, it was like. I've just won the impossible lottery. This never, ever, ever happens. It was all about following, right? About devotion, about following. And the word um, that's used there is to be an attendant to. So Jesus was saying, come attend to me. Listen to every word I say, see everything I do, and you'll get the understanding, you'll get the gist, and then you'll be able to do it for others, So these rabbis would walk around with their disciples, huddled around them, just year- like watching every move, studying every move. And there was this understanding that as the rabbi would walk through, he would kick up dust with his feet. And as that dust would be kicked up, you're, as a disciple, your sandals have dust on them, dust of the rabbi, right? So you're literally walking in the rabbi's footsteps. And so your claim of honour, of like, I've been a good disciple, is that your feet were covered in the dust of the rabbi. Now, a couple of weeks ago, five weeks ago, Zari started her first day of school. And when she came home, we both eagerly said, how was it? What happened? To which she said, oh, I'm too tired. I will tell you about it later when I'm ready. <whistles> okay, we'll wait. So we get home and we're just milling around. There's Lindeland, and myself and Hamish. And then Zari says, um, excuse me, everybody. What did she say? Eyes on... One, two eyes on... One, two, three eyes on me. It's mat time. It's like, I left school a long time ago. No desire to go back. And she's like, Daddy, come over here. I'm like, you're serious? She's like, I'm serious. And then, no kidding, we went over. And she proceeded. 15 minutes in, I thought, this is going to be a long night. Word by word, to mimic everything her teacher had done. For us in the classroom. Now, as it went, I got told off a couple of times. Been naughty. <laughs> Hamish nearly got kicked out. Lyndall got a sticker. Woo! And and we got to see exactly to the letter what her first day of school was. And it was At the 20-minute mark, we're like, we've got to cook tea. Like Maybe you could just break this up over the year and just walk us through it more, more slowly. Zari was mimicking her teacher and studying her so closely that she could then do that for others that's that's the role of a disciple to to walk behind the the rabbi for us to walk behind jesus so closely that that his dust falls on our shoes that we hear and see everything he does so that we can then take that to others we can offer that to others we can follow jesus in order that we can show others that and they go who i want to i want to be around him more and they come to follow jesus We need to sit so close to Jesus that his dust is constantly on our feet. So if anyone would willfully desire to position themselves to follow me, they must trust me with what is most important to them. They must join and continue the cause I started and stay so close that the dust of his steps falls on our feet. That's what it means to be sent. It's this weird thing of sent means to go out, but we don't go out before we meet with Christ. And when we meet with Christ, we go out with Jesus. It's more about what Jesus did for us than anything we can do. It's not about us going, I need to fulfill anything. It's going, I am compelled to because I've been so close to Jesus that his dust has fallen on my shoes. And I want to go, I want to show others what 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 I've learned. So my question is, where are you being sent this week? And for some of you, that might be the big question. For others, it might be a tiny question if it fits into between 10 and 11 tomorrow morning or whatever. Where is Jesus sending you? He's constantly sending us. So where, who is he sending you to? Is he sending you to that person who hurt you to find some reconciliation? Or that person you hurt to find some reconciliation? Is he sending you to your neighbor that you just kind of duck when they come home or they go out because you don't want to have anything to do with them? Is he is he sending you to sit in the park bench and just sit and, and listen and wait? Is he sending you to someone in hospital or someone that's sick? Is he sending you to be a missionary overseas? Like the big, to tell us where he's sending us this week. And then we're going to have the courage to do it this week. And we might share that next week. So let's pray. Lord, we so want to be close to you and to follow you. We are so thankful for what you did on the cross for us that you transform that from an object of torture to an object of redemption. That as we carry our cross, we carry your redemption to this world. So Lord, what does it look like for us this week? I pray right now you would lay somebody's name on our heart. Maybe it's a situation you're calling us to. Maybe it's an opportunity we need to wait for you. Holy Spirit, make it clear and make it heavy. May we not be able to shirk the responsibility of being sent until we fulfill this mission. And so, as we sit here, fill us with your love, fill us with your compassion and your kindness, fill us to overflowing. That we might charge from here into the places where you want to be. We might reveal your kingdom to those who want to see it. We might see your glory and your love come to people's lives. We just pray this in your powerful name. Amen.